Welcome to A Brighter Future, powered by OVS, where we discuss different ways to improve our student skills and optimize our learning. My name is Alicia Kuzner, and I've been a teacher both in the classroom and online for about 10 years now, and I am a teacher and course developer at Ontario Virtual School. In today's podcast, we're going to be discussing thinking skills, problem solving, and metacognition. There will also be a student spotlight with one of our OVS students, Nathan, to discuss his experiences with developing thinking skills in high school. Since this whole podcast is about thinking skills, I feel like we should start with a definition of what are thinking skills. And obviously, we all think. (laughs) So what do I mean when I say thinking skills? Well, thinking skills are skills that include theorizing and predicting, evaluating, and memory recall. And there's definitely ways to improve thinking skills. Obviously, we are all born with the ability to think, but there are ways to use methods of how our brain works to make these skills developed and easier to use over time. And with these skills, this is what we use to solve problems, make decisions, and organize events or process information. If you've ever taken a psychology class, I'm sure you've heard of Rene Descartes. He was the theorist that came up with, I think, therefore I am. And that is the first thing that comes to mind when I think of thinking skills, because when we come to how we perceive things in our reality, it all comes down to how we process information, what we take in from our environment, and then we use it to make decisions. And so thinking skills enable us to process information and recall facts and information, and then apply the knowledge to various situations. And then at a higher level, this can involve problem solving and analysis, which I'm sure for anyone who's in high school has heard those words before, analysis and problem solving. I feel like a lot of questions that pop up on tests and assignments are generally around problem solving and analyzing. Let's now jump into cognitive thinking. When we talk about cognitive thinking, that involves a vital strategy of using things like repetition, imagery, organization of facts, and summarizing meanings and contextualizing them. In previous podcasts, we've talked a little bit about this. We've talked about memory mansions. We've talked about um, using prompts and cues that could be images to recall certain terms. But this overall this umbrella term for everything is called cognitive learning and cognitive means your mind your brain and so some examples are mind maps right which you've done in school but they are incredibly important to use on your own when you are planning things when you are trying to let's say you're assigned an assignment where you have to write an essay or do an analysis mind maps are a great way to utilize your cognitive learning skills and when you create a mind map, it helps connect all your ideas together because you might have a lot of ideas in your head, but when you try to get it out on paper, it might come across as very disorganized and your reader or your teacher might not understand what you are trying to say and therefore you won't get the best marks that you anticipated or maybe that you truly deserve. Um, Visualization is another great example. Visualization is when you are trying to figure out a problem by walking yourself through it. Now, some people are great at this. Others, they can't visualize and that's okay. And it's really just another strategy, another technique that you can use. But when I visualize something, for me, when I 
was studying in university and I had to remember a lot of terms and I was taking history classes and there were many people, many dates and many concepts to remember. And for me, visualization was the best way for me to make connections when I was thinking and trying to create arguments about certain topics or certain concepts um, and write papers. And I would visualize connections of times and places. So for instance, in history class, I would try to remember all the events that took place around the same time, even if they're in different locations, and then make connections between them. And so this visualization of even like a map within your brain or um, some type of network of ideas that you're creating in your mind can really help create understanding and get your ideas organized so that you can then put it out on paper and your teacher will understand what you're talking about. <laughs> now, there are also different types of thinking skills. There are many different types of thinkers, but the way that we approach thinking and the skills that we tend to use can be grouped into three main examples. So here are three examples of common thinking skills. We have our analytical thinking skills, which is very methodological and very structured focused. And it's analytical thinkers who tend to do this type of thinking. And they tend to individually break down a problem into different parts and then figure out and tackle those little parts before tackling it as a whole. The next type of thinker that we have is a creative thinker. And those thinkers approach a problem from different angles. And creative thinkers tend to follow an unconventional process that involves asking a lot of questions. I find that the students in my class that are creative thinkers tend to apologize a lot. They say, I'm sorry for asking so many questions. And I, <laughs> you'll hopefully all your teachers, not just me, will say, don't worry, ask as many questions as you want. Um, we don't just say something once. We like to repeat ourselves because it's important. Not everyone gets it the first time. The next thinker is critical thinkers. And our critical thinkers tend to favor a careful and detailed open-minded evaluation of a whole problem. Our critical thinkers tend to analyze every single aspect of something before they come to a conclusion. And they really want to get every part of the story or every angle before they draw their own conclusion. So it can be very statistical and it can be very um, detailed with their evidence that they tend to back up their ideas with. And this doesn't just apply to school. I mean, you can use this in every area of your life. You can use this in your job world. You can use this when you're doing home renovations, when you move off <laughs> from your parents and you're entering into college or university and you're living in a maybe not the best type of home <laughs> or the best type of housing. You can use your critical thinking skills, your creative thinking skills, your analytical thinking skills to make your space a better design and restructure your living areas. So there's many different examples of how you could apply these types of thinking skills. So lastly, what is metacognition? Metacognition involves developing an awareness of your own thought process and learning strategies. And it's really the goal that every teacher tries to 
in force and tries to reach with their students. Because we want individuals to understand that everyone's thought processes are slightly different and everyone uses learning strategies in a different way, depending on what works for you. So it involves creating your own plan and taking your own initiative to figure out how to approach learning in a way that is new and fun for you or something that is at least not going to drive you mad with (laughs) repetition if repetition is not your thing. So try to figure out something that works for you that you can actually tolerate for a long period of time. And it's also a a vital part of strategizing and problem solving. So when even in everyday life, metacognition is important because it's a process of figuring out how to use a strategy or which strategy to apply in a certain situation. Let's now jump into our student spotlight where I'm here with Nathan and he is one of our high school OVS students and we're going to be talking about different learning skills that he acquired over his time at OVS. So Nathan, uh, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I really appreciate it. So how long have you been enrolled with OVS? Um, I've been enrolled for OVS for around three years now, since grade nine, first year. Nice. And were you always take like, were you just taking a few classes with us or are you a full-time student? Uh, I've always been a full-time student since grade nine. What made you choose to be a full-time student? At the time of the first year of high school, um, my parents and I didn't know if we were going to stay in Canada or move So we didn't want to enroll in the local system because we would have had to transfer classes. And we ended up moving quite quickly after the school year started. So we were thankful that we went through OVS and we were able to transfer easily wherever I went. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed a lot of our students um, say very similar things, you know, like there's just kind of an unknown sometimes. And it can be frustrating when you're transferring even provinces, let alone like countries because yeah. in Canada how it works is like every province has a different school system with different types of credentials and credits that you need so it's nice when OVS you just stick with one system all the way through. Um, well let's jump into our um, podcast topic which is all about thinking skills and earlier um, before we jumped into our student spotlight right now um, I talked about the transferable skills and the skills that education is supposed to teach you to make your life easier as a student. And often we don't tell students that you're supposed to retain information from one grade and use it for the next grade. A lot of students think of it as like a reset button, like, okay, now I'm in grade 10 and I'm learning all new concepts. So, or now I'm in grade 11, I'm learning all new concepts. So what class, um, I guess I should ask what, what class did you take this year with OVS? And is there, what courses in high school tend to overlap in information? Like, the same things taught in both classes? And then how do you use that knowledge from one course to help you with another course? My favorite classes from this year has probably been English and Humanities. So Humanities, because I like the different topics and learning about the all the history and just what it is in general, because typically you don't really learn about that, those topics like anthropology, sociology, etc., without actually going into a course and for English I just always like English in general since grade nine and elementary school writing essays whatnot 
Yeah. Have you noticed that there's overlap in these courses? Now, of course, um, math, English, and many of those core courses overlap just generally because you need the information to progress into the next course. Now, for specific, like, different courses, I would say one main example is grade 10 history and humanities, which I'm currently taking as a grade 12 course. One example of this is in grade 10 history course is specifically elaborating on the Nuremberg trials related to studying World War II. When referring to the humanities course, it mentioned about Milgram's obedience to authority experiment. Yeah, and there's such a connection. For those who don't know Punisher, they started to do atrocious things because they that was their job, right? And you just you, you kind of ignore your ethics. And so the question is, in human behavior studies, are we um, are we truly who we are until we're placed in the society with a certain role, and then do we adapt to that role? And so, do you find that you use all of that knowledge in your new courses? Um, in regards to say English, for example, I definitely use the knowledge, mainly citations and creating them and just paragraph structure. And over the years, I've become better at creating essays and I use all the knowledge that I've learned in English. That's, that's, that's excellent. And you know, it's great that OVS, I noticed this with our OVS English classes, um, is that we really do try to teach our students what they need to know for university. Um, and citations are really important for that. Because um, I've, I've taught, I've been a, a public school teacher, I've been a private school teacher in class in other schools. Um, and I notice a lot of teachers leave that teaching of citations until grade 12. And that's the first time that students see it. They don't really have time to practice it and perfect it. And then when they get to university, they are thrown into the fire with like, now you need perfect citations or else you're going to get in trouble with plagiarism. So I like, I'm happy that you said that, you know, we're actually teaching you how to cite earlier on before you reach your final year of high school. Yeah, that'd be difficult. Difficult. Yeah. I even had some friends, like when I went off to university, I had, it's funny, in my high school experience, um, I never took anything online because I'm much older, didn't exist back then. <laughs> um, and I was only taught how to cite and source my references in grade in a grade 12 history class. Um, my English teacher has never even taught me how to do it. And that teacher kind of saved me because when I went the first year, I was like, oh, now we're citing everything. And there's different types of citations. There's APA, MOA, Chicago, like, what do I do? Um, and at least I had that one teacher who introduced it to me because I had other friends at university in first year who had never seen it before in their entire lives. And it was a much steeper learning curve and their average was dropped in first year because of it. So yeah, that's good. That's <laughs> good that you're learning it. Yeah. Um, so how do you know that you have answered a question on a test fully? Because this is like something I find with students when they're learning their students' strategies on how to get the best marks possible. How do you make sure that you have answered that question to the best of your ability? Well, what is what is the definition of that? Well, it's basically when you complete the answer and have completed all parts of the question. So you have to look if it's multi, a multi-step question or a two-part question and make sure you actually complete all parts 
as you will lose marks over time in the test if you miss out. And then, for example, say longer math questions, I like adding a therefore statement at the end or restate the question in any subject, mainly only for longer questions. It might have taken a while to get to your answer and you to kind of recap. Yeah, absolutely. And like like you said, being able to restate the question at the end is almost like a verification for you that you answer the question fully. Um, yeah. And yeah, like how you said with math, like you you have to show all your steps. And I I work with um, elementary math right now. So like I'm teaching grade eight math. And that's one thing that I find students are still trying to grapple with is that sometimes people think like if I do math in my head, it makes me seem smarter and I'm just going to put the final answer. And then that somehow makes it look like I know my math really well because I can do it all in my head. But in reality, in high school, we want to see every single step because if you go into a math career, the math gets very complicated, very long, and it's impossible to do in your head. It's not meant to be done in your head. It's meant to be solved in a group. Often there's groups of people solving equations. So you have to show your work so that if you go wrong, someone else can double check. And because we're meant to go wrong, we're humans, right? And math is a problem solving process. So it's all about how did you solve it? And even when students show their work on their math test, they sometimes they do it slightly differently than how I taught it. And I'm like, whoa, I've never seen that before. So from a teacher's perspective, I, I love seeing how students work out the answer because sometimes I didn't even think about it, like how it could be solved in another way. Um, what about um, the marks? Like, do you ever pay attention to like when tests say it's out of like five marks or out of four marks, like in your humanity classes? Does that um, influence how your answer will be written and the length of your answer? Uh, I, t I say I typically just answer what the question asks because sometimes it'll ask for a bit, bit of a more ex more of an explana explanation mm -hmm. or sometimes they'll just ask bullet points. So I just do what the question says. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And generally teachers will try to guide you in the actual question. Like, so in my... I should probably mention uh, Nathan took my one of my courses, my Earth and Space Science course. Um, and so like some of those questions on the test, they would be out of five marks. Um, and I find like I in the question itself, I try to say like this is a multi-step question. Like I'm asking for you to explain and to whatever. Um, but, and for me as a marker, I'm always looking like, okay, I need five clear ideas because out of five marks and I have to award, I have to look for five marks, right? And in order to give you the full marks. And so if students only give me two ideas, I'm like, it's not enough. I need five, you know, because out of five marks. So this is one thing I also try to like advise my students to pay attention to what it's out of. If, if it's a 10 mark question, that's probably two paragraphs worth of writing, right? So yeah, yeah. in that course specifically, I remember seeing like write five answers or just for pretty much all the questions. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And there was a long answer question on one of them that was like, you're supposed to expand a little bit more. Um, but yeah, and something that we should maybe talk about too really quickly is that on tests, and this is not just an OVS thing. This is like all Ontario schools are supposed to structure their high school tests like this. There's supposed to be four categories. There's knowledge, which is generally assessed through multiple choice. Um, sometimes uh, there's like definitions, like where there's a term and then you write the definition. 
And then there's thinking and inquiry, which are your thinking questions when you have to generally make connections between two things and you have to think about how they compare perhaps. Then there's an application section where you have to apply your knowledge to certain situations. Those questions are more geared towards like, if you were in this situation, how would you use this concept? And then the communication, which is when you, communication can often be like fill in the blank sometimes too, where you have to communicate your ideas effectively to get the right answer. And so in each section, every test is has four marks. And then those four marks are averaged out. Um, so it helps create a little bit of a balance because if you're someone who struggles with like memorization and you're not good at multiple choice, which does take practice, that's definitely a student strategy that takes time to perfect. Like I was awful at multiple choice when I was in high school and it literally took me into like second year university to figure out how I should properly do it. Um, but it just literally takes practice because I'm too indecisive of a person and I like to write my answers out because I like to like explain everything and then sometimes with multiple choice you feel really boxed in with like I can only choose one answer but they all sound correct <laughs> yeah um, so I think the last question that I have for you today just before we wrap up is what are some student skills and student strategies that you use to make connections between your concepts like do you take notes um, do you have different types of note-taking strategies? Do you use colors to make connections between two people or like do you group ideas together um, when you're studying? So just, yeah, how do you make those connections between concepts? Currently, I make all my notes from all of the courses except math in a Word document, so type. Uh, this was not always the case as over the years, I felt the amount of content increase in turn making writing notes not very viable. However, I still physically write in my math notes as the symbols and format of equations can get messed up and you get less freedom in that respect. The amount of math content in the course per lessons has always not tremendously increased. When writing notes specifically, I like having subtopics for the information in a lesson as well as highlighting my subtopics, whether this is with a physical highlighter or with bold or italics or underlined or any other word feature in Word. In general, related to the content in OVS and grading, I would recommend doing any of the optional assignments. They are generally not too difficult to complete. Mm -hmm. Specifically, math worksheets are generally review and just reinforce if you actually understand the topic or not. Course forums are usually optional, but are questions related to the content you just learned, which both those optional assignments help you for the real assignment, say. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so true. Like, <laughs> I always tell my students this. I'm like, teachers are not <laughs> the most creative people. Like, I try to be creative, but when you're trying to make an assessment to test someone's knowledge, you don't want to throw things that they've never learned in before. Like, that's, that's not the point. I'm supposed to test you on what you have learned. So a lot of the times, teachers go into those optional assignments those and those optional homeworks, and we grab questions from there, and we only slightly change it. So by doing all the optional stuff, you are studying for the test and you're basically making a review for that test and so it depends on who you are like you don't even necessarily have to hand in the options um you can just do it and then just that's your study version and, and, and our OBS we give you answer keys as well to the uh like homework the math homework there's answer keys to double check your work but yeah I'm glad you brought that up because it is really a great way to study and even in university, carry on that skill, like use all the optional stuff. The libraries, for instance, not every university has this, but libraries will often have 
past tests on file in the library that you can use to study because they change them up every year, but not by, like the concepts don't change, just the questions change. So they're great practice tests um, to get you started. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today on this podcast about your learning skills and like everything you said, it's very apparent that you are an excellent student learner. And I feel like if you keep using these strategies into university, you're going to rock it. And all your friends at university are going to be looking at you and be like, where did you learn this? How did you know what to do? Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Uh, do you have any final thoughts, any things that you want to say to like the other OVS students and other students out there that are freaking out a little bit at school and don't really know how to make connections? Um, I'd say just focus on everything that you're struggling on and not too much on what you're already good at yeah. personally yeah no that's actually a really good tip like when you're studying like don't worry restudying all the stuff you already know focus on the stuff that you don't know because that way you can optimize your time and what you need to focus on well thank you so much thank you for having me Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed our discussions about education as well as our post-secondary spotlight. If you'd like to learn more about OVS and the joys of online learning, please visit www.ontariovirtualschool.ca. And don't forget to like and subscribe to our channel for more podcasts about the bright future of education.